wind blowing? Do you hear that noise? Some yes, a lot of no's. I'll go with the no's. It feels too good to turn it off. I'm sorry. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, beginning verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, beginning verse 11. We are continuing to read about how Paul is challenging the Galatians because of their shying away from the faith once delivered to the saints. How he is challenging them for their quickness to have turned away because somebody came in and put a little pressure on them. We realize that the key to understanding Galatians is understanding Paul's insistence upon freedom that is in Christ. Uh, he'll talk later about you've been set free for freedom's sake. I mean, you, you know, we are, we are free in Christ. We're not bound by ritual. We're not bound by legalism. We're not bound by what we do or don't do. We are set free in Christ to live for His glory. And that's an important concept. So much so that Paul refuses to let it just be passed off. He refuses to let it just be kind of a, a casual thing that's dealt with. And so we saw how he went up to Jerusalem in the first part of chapter 2. And there he talked with Peter and James and, and those whom he said were men of good reputation, high reputation. And as they compared what they were preaching and what he was preaching, they came to the conclusion, the understanding, they were preaching exactly the same thing. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And, and James and Peter and the rest of them said, listen, we have nothing to add. You go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Jews. The only thing they asked was that we remember the poor. And, and I was eager to do that, Paul said. I wanted to do that. So there was no adding to or taking away from what Paul was preaching. Now he went there, I think, in the absolute assurance that what he was preaching was the truth of the gospel. He went there to see those apostles who had come before him, who had actually walked with Jesus for three, three and a half years, had heard Jesus teach directly. And after his time alone with the Lord in Arabia in the desert and now preaching the gospel, he went up with Barnabas and Titus out of a, a sincere desire. Tell me if I've missed it somewhere. Tell me if somehow something's gone wrong in, in my preaching. And Paul and Peter said, and James said to him, there's nothing wrong with what you're preaching. You are preaching the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. And so Paul was relieved at that. I don't think he expected anything differently from that, but he felt good about it, that now there's been that affirmation by those earlier apostles, although as he makes clear, he didn't really need that because they're no different from him. They were both called, both set apart, as apostles of Jesus Christ to preach the glorious gospel of God. And so he went and did that, and he left. Then Paul, in talking to the Galatians, immediately goes in from that positive experience with Peter to somewhat a negative experience with Peter. Now you might say, why does he do that? You've got to always keep in mind the two things. He's chastising the Gentiles for their lack of holding forth to the gospel. And he's talking about that freedom that is in Christ that he never wants them to lose sight of. And so there's a tension there that he's wanting to hold. And so he goes from saying, Peter and James and I all agreed and we approved it right there in Jerusalem to now coming down and saying, well, but Peter did have a slip. You know, as we read the Gospels, as we read the whole Bible, 
it's very interesting that, that we see those who are disciples of Christ, those who are the people of God, with what a, one of pastor I worked with years ago, back in my early part of my ministry, used to call, we see them warts and all. God doesn't cover over anything in His Scripture. I believe personally that that is a, a real sign and a real, um, if you will, affirmation of the, of the inspiration of Scripture, that it came from the Holy Spirit. Because I'll guarantee you, if Peter had his way, Paul would not have told this story. And David would have not have let it be recorded about his experience with Bathsheba. Or, or Abraham recorded how he lied to, to uh, the king of Egypt in order to save his own skin about who Sarah was. And on and on and on you can go. I mean, there were deceivers and liars and cheats and everything else among those who were the people of God. And God unfails that. I think he does that for a reason. He does that to help us to be encouraged a little bit that just because we're not perfect doesn't mean that we're not his. And just because we may slip up, and just even as Peter does here, even mature Christians can blow it. We can blow it on occasion. But as we talked about this morning, our blowing it in this walk, our blowing it in this life does not affect our justification. It may affect our relations, our fellowship in that time. But it does not affect our relationship. It does not affect our justification. We can blow it without losing our salvation. We can blow it without falling from grace because there is always the Holy Spirit who is calling us to repentance if we really belong to Him, if we really are a child of His. So we have this instance where Peter and Paul meet up again, not in Jerusalem this time, but rather in Antioch. And Peter has come down there. Now, I'm going to read verses 11 through 21 to get the whole thrust of this. But quite honestly, we're only going to look at verses 11 through 14 tonight. And we'll come back and look at 15 through 21 uh, when I get back from Peru. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Well, that sounds serious, doesn't it? Understand, that's not condemned salvifically. That's not condemned from justification. It's just condemned in the way he was walking and what he was doing right then. It was sin in his life. He was blowing it. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews, the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, and the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are all Jews by nature and not, and, and not sinners from among the Gentiles. A little sarcasm there, I think. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, 
I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of, law, of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Paul is zeroing in here and he's concentrating on and he's wanting the Gentiles to understand that the heart of the gospel and the heart of his message and the thing that cannot be compromised and cannot be relinquished, not one iota, is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That we are justified in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not in our own works, not, in the, not by the law, but by faith in Christ. Now he uses Peter as an example here. And I want you to kind of get a feel for what happened here. Peter came on down to Antioch, evidently, ahead of James's men. The, the men who came from James. Uh, these were again people of, of reputation important people in the church in Jerusalem. And Cephas evidently came ahead of them. And when he got there, he was having a, I guess you can only describe it as a great old time. He was eating with the Gentiles, and they were having a good time together, and probably even eating some pig, you know, and, and a little pork on the side, and, and they were having a great time. And Peter was loving it, and he was fellowshipping with them. And then he heard that the, the people from James were coming. I can almost picture they ran out to the local Walgreens and got some certs or some breath uh, spray or something, you know, afraid they might smell the pork on his breath. And, and so he went and he did whatever he did. But the key is he started withdrawing. He had had a great time, great fellowship, enjoyed the, the food with the Gentiles. And now that these important people from James were coming, because he feared what they might think, I mean, actually... Paul says in the last part of chapter, uh, verse 12, he said, fearing the party of the circumcised. There was a fear in Peter that he started backing off and saying, man, what are these guys going to think? If they see me sitting down with Gentiles, I'm not even supposed to go, a, Jew, a good Jew is not even supposed to go into a Gentile's house, much less go in and have a meal with them. If they see me, what are they going to think about me? How are they going to look at me? They're going to think I've sold out to the, to the uncircumcised, and now I'm kind of like them. I'm kind of unclean. And so Paul watched Peter do this. You almost get the feeling he was watching from a distance. He was kind of off to the side and just shook his head as he saw Peter withdrawing, all of a sudden becoming aloof, getting an air of superiority about himself, you know, that, that well, I'm, I'm, I'm better than these people. I'm more important than these people. I better not be seen because I don't know what the party of the circumcision might think about it. And you can almost see Paul just shaking his head. Poor old Peter. I mean, Peter had a reputation for kind of, sticking his foot in his mouth many times anyway, you know. and I'll die for you, Lord. No, before, I, but before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, not me. If I have to go to the death, I'll go to the death for you. And a little servant girl confronted him, and he said, I don't know him. I've never seen him. Heavens, no, I don't know the man. And the cock crowed. And Peter found himself doing exactly what the Lord said. I mean, Peter had a little bit of a reputation of blowing it 
from time to time. And even after Pentecost, even after, even after his vision, before he went to Cornelius' house. I mean, you got to understand, here is a man who if ever, ever a Jew had been given the freedom to go into the Gentiles and had been given the freedom from God himself, it was Peter. I mean, the vision came, the, the animals coming down and God saying, eat. And, and can you believe Peter said to God, oh, no, Lord. You just don't say that to the Lord. You know, I hope you realize that. That's not a smart thing to say. But Peter said, oh, no, Lord, I can't eat those foods. They're unclean. And the Spirit of God said to Peter, what I have declared clean, dare you call it unclean? Go and eat it. And then he went to Cornelius, and he saw the Spirit of God move in Cornelius' house. He saw Cornelius and many of his household become believers and be baptized into the church. And then they came to Jerusalem, and they declared that, yes, this gospel is for the Gentile just as it is for the Jew. It's not a parochial thing. It's not a clannish thing. It's for the world. It's for the nations. It's for the Gentile as well as the Jew. And now Peter, because these circumcised party people, the party of the circumcision, they come down there and he fears them. Do you realize that one of the things that will cause us to deny Christ and to deny the gospel and lose our freedom in Christ quicker than anything else is fear. Not fearing God, that's good, but fearing what other people are going to think. Fearing what other people will say. Fearing what it will look like in the eyes of other people. Now, now, you know, I, I think, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, I think if you love God with all your heart, soul, and might, you ought to just go do what you want to do because you're loving God with all your heart, soul, and your might. He's going to lead you to do what's right. And you ought to do it without fearing what somebody else is going to think about you. You know, oh, well, they, they might think I'm not a good Christian if I, if I do this or if I go there, if I do, you know. And I could name all these things. If I start naming them, you'll start saying, oh, good, I don't do that one and I don't do that one. So I'm not going to do that. That's not the point. The point is the fear of man will cause us to deny Christ, deny the gospel, and lose our freedom quicker than anything else. Peter was a man who had been set free by the gospel, free to go and sit down with the Gentiles and to be fellowshipping with them and, and sharing in the gospel truth with them. But because he feared this party of the circumcision, he started backing away, he started feeling aloof. So much so that the Jews that were with him joined in and it even affected old Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas, the encourager, Barnabas, the one who had been with Paul and seen the, the, the Gentiles come to know Christ in, in great numbers as they planted churches. Even old Barnabas was affected by that, carried away by their hypocrisy. I want you to see that word. He, he called Peter a hypocrite. He called Peter and those who came from James, the party of the circumcision. He said, they are involved in hypocrisy. They are hypocrites. I, I, I know you've probably never heard this, but a lot of times that's what people say about people in the church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, if you are, you're in pretty good company because you're in the company with Peter, I guess even though he blew it, had it together most of the time. But you've got to understand, we are all guilty of hypocrisy at some point. Don't argue that point. <laughs> you know, 
don't get into an argument with some, you know, you know my standards say, and I say when somebody says that to me, I say, well, come on and join us because one more won't matter then. But, but the point is, it, it's a serious matter that we would allow ourselves because we fear men to be captivated and carried away to a point of denying the gospel and denying Christ. I think there are two things we need to learn out of this. And, and two lessons that come out of this experience. Now, as I say, when we get back from Peru, I'll, I'll talk more about this whole concept of justification by faith alone that Paul just lays out so beautifully in, in 15 through 21. But I want you to see two things here. One thing, we must always strive to stand for the gospel. It's the first thing you've got to see here. And that's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, I will stand on the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is that it's not by circumcision, it's not by ritual, it's not by who you were born or how you were born, but it's based on the gospel message. And I'll stand on that till the day I die. We live in a day where that's really needed, folks. We live in a day where the gospel is being watered and and, and twisted and, and kind of downplayed. And, you know, there's this whole idea of tolerance that leads to, well, everybody can believe what they want to believe, and it really doesn't matter what they believe as long as they believe something. And, and if they have faith, it doesn't matter what that faith is in, as long as they have faith. Listen, Paul would go berserk over that. Paul said, what do you mean it doesn't matter what they believe? Faith does not save anybody. Do you understand that? Faith does not save Anybody, if it's not in the right object. The object of the faith is what determines whether it's effectual or whether it's non-effectual. The object of faith is, is what determines whether there is salvation in that faith or there is damnation in that faith. Faith can lead to both. And so Paul is simply saying here, listen, don't let little things, don't let petty things, don't let prejudices, don't let your own ideas, don't let your own fears get in the way of standing firm on the gospel. And the gospel is, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Just one amen? amen? Oh, thank you. Okay. That'd be nice. That's important. I mean, I mean that's, that's vital, folks. Let me tell you something. The gospel is not about church attendance. The gospel is not about, in one sense, how you live. Now, you will live differently if you're in the gospel but you don't put one before the other. And you let Jesus Christ work that out. You don't try to figure out some way before you come into right relationship with him on the basis of faith alone, through grace alone. So Paul says with Peter, and he says to you and me, it is, it is absolutely imperative that you learn what the gospel is and you stand on the gospel. Stand on under the gospel. It is your authority. It is your message. It is the truth by which you live. But there's a second thing, and that is the harder of the two for us today. I'll be honest with you. We can talk about we believe in, 
you know, the salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in God's glory alone. We, we believe that and we can abide by that. But I think the second thing that Paul is teaching the Galatians and teaching you and me here is this. That if there is someone, even if he be a, a preacher or a leader or somebody that, that just has reputation, if they do not stand firmly on the gospel, they must be confronted. They must be confronted. You know, I hope that if you hear me preaching error from this pulpit, you'll confront me about it. I really do. I hope you'll say, I, I, let's look at the word, let's see what this says. I mean, the Bereans... Luke commended the Bereans in the book of Acts not because they listened to Paul and they said, yeah, whatever you say, Paul. But he commended them because they heard Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ and they respected his office and they listened to him, but they went to the Word of God to examine to see if these things are true. Don't just take what I say for granted. Don't just take what you hear on a television show for granted that professes to be a preacher of the gospel. Don't just take what you hear on the radio on a Christian network or a Christian radio station to be the truth. If you hear it proclaimed, you test it against the word. That's your responsibility as a Christian. And if there's someone who's, who is presenting something that is untrue, then you are to confront it if you possibly can, if you have an avenue to do it. Now I realize you'd probably be hard-pressed to get in touch with some of those yahoos that are on radio and television who need to be confronted. But there are those even you come in contact with. They don't have to be preachers. They can be other, quote, believers who say, well, I just believe and live and let live. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I go to church and I do all this, but I don't believe in all that stuff about it having to be in Christ and I don't believe all that stuff about it by grace through faith and all. You know, I just believe live your life the best you can. I had somebody tell me that that's a member of another local church here in town the other day. He said, well, you know, I believe what the gospel is. You do the best you can and God will accept it. And I said, really? And, and where did you get that? Well, I read it in a book somewhere. He didn't read it in the book. just read it in a book. Because the scripture gives no indication that we just do the best we can. And if we do the best we can, then God will just say, that's all right. That's all you can do, the best you can. No. Because you see, our very best is not good enough. Our very best is like filthy rags. Our very best, our, our greatest day of righteousness. I don't know what yours is. I, I tried to think this afternoon, what was my greatest day of righteousness? And I didn't have one. But on your greatest day of righteousness, it's not enough to be made right with God. Because the only righteousness that makes you right with God is the righteousness of Christ alone. And you only come to that righteousness, righteousness by the exchange that takes place from the cross of Calvary where he exchanges your sin. He takes your sin on himself and he takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. So he who knew no sin became, right, uh, became, became sin so that we who know no righteousness might become the very righteousness of God. Now that's deep theology. 
I mean, that's heavy stuff. But it's very practical. Because your life will be changed when you understand that exchange. Your life will be different. You'll not be like Peter, worrying about what everybody's thinking and and being carried away by fear into hypocrisy. But you'll stand on the righteousness of Christ and stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ and you will share that and you will present that and you will will correct and contradict and, and challenge anybody who doesn't. At least that's what Paul did. And Paul set that up as an example. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm going to just go down to those last two verses. Verse 20. Actually, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He said, listen, as long as I was just trying to follow the law, Remember Philippians chapter 3, he talks about that, how oh, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I was a tribe of Benjamin, I was a, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, I was just, I was it. I did a lot, and I had a, great, I had a great heritage in addition to what I did. But as long as I was living to the law, I was not living to God. So I died to the law so I might live to God. And I love verse 20. I love verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. I mean, the grace of God is all there is. It's our only hope. I do not nullify the grace of God because, listen, and this is, this is I think, I hesitate to say this, but I really believe it. This is the most powerful statement maybe in the New Testament. If righteousness comes through the law, that is, if you can be good enough by obeying the law or, or the golden rule or the beatitudes or whatever your standard you want to make, if, if you can get righteousness that way through the law, then Christ died needlessly. He died in vain. He died in a most ridiculous manner. That's what Paul's saying. He said, listen, Christ had to die. Why do you have to die? Because you can't be good enough and you can't get it on your own. It comes through grace, through faith in Christ. Period. What was happening there in Antioch was Peter was slowly backing off of that. He wasn't saying it. He wasn't saying, oh, well, you know, these circumcised people, they're really right with God, and you Gentiles still hadn't got... He wasn't saying that out loud, but he was acting like it. He was acting like these that are from the circumcision are really better than the Gentiles because of their circumcision, because of their ritual keeping, and he was backing away from the Gentiles, and Paul looked him square in the eye and said, Peter, you hypocrite. Look what you've done to Barnabas. Look what you've done to these other Jews here. You are living a contradiction 
to the gospel. Who is it that God wants you to really invest some time in? For the purpose of sharing the gospel that might be frowned upon by, you know, really good Baptists. Who is it that you're afraid to just get your hands dirty in their life? To share the gospel. This this whole thing, we've talked for two years now about the whole concept that we try to live by here of investing and inviting, investing in people's lives to invite them to Christ. Who are the Gentiles in your life? I know you say, oh, I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew. No, I'm not talking about that kind of Gentile. Who are the unclean in your eyes that need the gospel? Maybe somebody you work with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you just don't go to their house because, you know, you know, there's alcohol in that house. and I don't want people seeing me going in because, man, they might think I'm going in to have a drink with him. Okay. They thought Peter was going in to eat pork. Well, actually, he probably was eating pork. But the point is, it's not what people think that matters. It's the truth of the gospel. And are you willing to dirty your hands for the truth of the gospel? Am I willing to dirty my hands for the truth of the gospel? Let's pray. Father, it is easy to act like Peter. It's easy to fall into religiosity that really denies the gospel. Lord, I thank you that you showed me that even a mature Christian like Peter can blow it. Because that helps me when I blow it. It helps me to know that it doesn't blow it salvifically it doesn't blow it in my justification it doesn't blow it in my being a part of your family it doesn't doesn't negate my adoption but your holy spirit will bring me gently and and maybe like paul and peter sometimes not so gently but your holy spirit will bring me to that point of repentance and to obedience father i pray I pray for everybody here tonight. I I pray you lead us to some places to get our hands dirty for the gospel. Lead us to some people that might not be our class of folks for the gospel. Lead us, Lord, to some real sinners. And let us risk being affiliated with them and the eyes of religious folks who really don't matter for your glory and for the gospel. Father, when we fear other people and what they think, we lose our freedom. We are held captive. 
Lord, we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. But Father, help us to help us to be set free for your glory and for the gospel. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.